hear these words of Mephibosheth. We're going to call him Mephi for short, because at the end of this, we will have become good friends with him. Would you pray with me? O Lord our God, as we hear these words, we are knowing that they are not words that are on a page written thousands of years ago to be dead to our ears. Lord, liven them. Bring them to us as a fresh word for us today and how white we be closer to you because of it. In your name we pray, amen. Other Fourth of July weekends might look like this to you also. The weather's hot, it's a typical summer day. One Fourth of July, a few years ago, our guests enjoyed a beautiful day sharing games and food and drink in our backyard around tables. Our dinner table didn't look like the magazine picture of Fourth of July and better homes and gardens, of course, but we're celebrating nonetheless a family favorite holiday, just like everyone else across our country, aren't we? And it has typical fare, barbecue, watermelon, potato salad, hot dogs, and hamburgers. And don't forget that jello salad with the Cool Whip on top with the little line of strawberries so that the white peeks out as lines, and the blueberries are specifically placed so that the stars pop through. Can't forget that. Fourth of July plans usually start being made a few weeks before, as people notice that they have an extra day off from work or school. And the family and friends, they start looking forward to this day, and everyone knows to invite other people to their house, to their celebration, to their picnic blanket. Otherwise, they'd spend the holiday alone. You never know what Fourth of July couldn't be if you're sitting alone and watching those fireworks, knowing that everyone else has someplace else to be. So it's important to invite. This family meal that we celebrated We started inviting and inviting because that's what you do. You invite people to your parties and to your celebrations, to your table, and soon it became 30 people. I wouldn't recommend inviting that many people unless you have a bigger plan. But we didn't want to leave anyone out. Even still, we ran to the grocery store, my husband Mike and I, so that we could pick up some more guacamole, tortilla chips, and of course ice. And we ran into another couple with kids, and they seemed to have no place to go. And so we, of course, invited them to walk over to our house and join us. Sharing a meal with others, whether during a holiday or really any time, isn't just about sharing that secret ingredient of whatever's in your hamburger meat but it's about exclusivity versus inclusivity. The bigger question is, who's invited to the table? Who has been invited to your table? Who will be invited to your table? In this Old Testament account that I made jewelry read because it had a lot of big words, but we'll see how I do. It's an account of a king who invited an outsider to join his family in the symbolism of a table. You have a place at the table, King David said, but it was far more symbolic than just a place, a seat at a table, you see. 
It's more than that. It's a place in his household. It's a place to sleep, so he had a bedroom. It's a demarcation of his new social status and, of course, money that came along with it. And so Julie read from Second Samuel, So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's household became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem for he ate always at King David's table. Now he was lame in two feet. From here on out, we're going to refer to him as Mephi. Number one, because aren't nicknames so much more fun? It eases conversation, and our familiarity with him will be like he's having a place at our table by the end of this. As I was indicating, King David invited Mephi, the son of his friend Jonathan, to join him at his table, and it was no ordinary act of kindness. You no doubt have invited somebody to your dinner table. Sure, friend, come on over. Or children, sure, they can stay for dinner. But David, King David, was at the high point of his career because of all of his military efforts, religious efforts, economic efforts, and political accomplishments. You remember King David, the same one that defeated Goliath. And this is pre his events with Bathsheba, so just so you know where we are in the timeline. David gained control all over Canaan, over the Philistines, they were no longer a threat to Israel. And David does the same with the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites in the east, and the Armenians in the northeast, stating clearly that no one is to mess with King David. No one is to mess with Israel. This is the high point of Israel. Who could defeat them? No one. And so David becomes sovereign over the empire and maintains alliances in the surrounding area, And he's the first in all of Israel's history to do so. And David, at the high point of his career, could be mean, could be authoritative, could be frustrating to his people, but he's not. He expounds great compassion over his people, and that's what makes him a hallmark of a king. Kings and other leaders usually exercise their authority in a way that's costly for their people, taking advantage of them or oppressing them. And in history, we know that there are plenty of examples of this, plenty of examples of leaders who have extorted their people, not shown compassion. David takes this moment and this opportunity to show grace, to show vulnerability, and to show great power. And he invites someone to his table. And again, it's not just for dinner, you see. It's a provision of needs like food, clothes, money, and shelter. But it's also a conversation towards equality. This act has huge implications. And it doesn't get the front page of the Israelite Times. It doesn't even get that much literary real estate in the Bible. But though it's brevity, in proportion, it is great. And that's why it's included. Mephi is talked about before, in parentheses. How he's handicapped happens in Samuel chapter 4. It's practically a footnote. Mephibosheth, Mephi, 
That's his name. But it's always attached with his calamity. He was dropped by his nurse. And he was crippled. And then it moves on. But that's enough to raise a bunch of questions. Who is this guy? What is the story behind him? What more does the scripture have to say with him? And Mephi turns out to be slightly important. Mephi was the son of Jonathan, who is also a great leader in our Bibles. The grandson of Saul, who was the first king of Israel. And though Saul and Jonathan, they were both killed in battle. And that left the throne unoccupied. And so David was able to swoop in. And in those days, and many days, a king who claimed the throne often stood there by exterminating the entire other family that would be in competition. You can see this eloquently played out in the Game of Thrones era that we all watch. David apparently had no intention of following this tradition, but the family of Saul was terrified. They thought that was the pattern, and they didn't know of David's benevolence, and so they hurried, and of special concern to them was five-year-old Mephi. Because upon the deaths of his father and his uncle, he was then the presumptive heir of the throne. And if David was going to be intent on murdering him, he was at the top of that list. And so his family got out of Dodge. But in the haste of the moment, Mephi fell from his nanny's arms and was crippled, permanently damaged in both feet. Not only was he a charity case invited to this table, But he was no longer seen as a charity case. He was also equal. He was an enemy, but now a friend. He was competition, but now there, parallel. He was invited to the table. Who else can be invited to the table? When we have religious differences, why can't? they be invited to the table. We can talk, we can share a meal, we can be a part of that conversation. What about when a powerful CEO is able to share the table, share ideas? What about when we're talking about ethnic diversity? Where else could we have a proverbial table and invite others into that conversation? Keynote, conversation, not argument, not putting down, not charity case. And so in one very short phrase, four words, one sentence, David asks when he's inviting people to the table, where is this son? Sometimes we need to be called to the table to be felt like we're wanted and to show that example first. We need to be filled to the top with Jesus' perfect love before we can invite others to the table. And God knows that. I hope you see yourself in this story of Mephi because aren't these similarities? Like Mephi, weren't you also born into royalty? Mephi was the heir to the throne, but aren't we also heirs to the kingdom of God? Like Mephi, don't you carry the wounds of a fall? We as well, as we carry the wounds of the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. 
like Mephi, haven't each one of us lived in fear of a king that we haven't seen? He hadn't seen King David. How have we not seen Jesus, the king triumphant? And like Mephi, don't we feel like we aren't good enough to come to the table? Are you crippled? Yes. And despite who we are and where we have come from and what we have done, God asks, where is this son? Where is this daughter? It says in John chapter 15, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And Jesus, ladies and gentlemen, did that for us. And so don't we have a place at this table? You do. It's like Jesus is calling you to this table. Where is Barbara? Where is Tom? Where is Sally? Where is Bill? Where are you? You are invited to this table. And don't let this opportunity to come to our family table pass you by. This is a table that is big enough, though its size may be diminutive. It expands to each one of us. Mephibosheth shall always eat at my table. You will always eat at the Lord's table. So imagine that invitation being to you this day. Amen and amen.